Amen, amen. Amen. Uh, good morning, church family. Hey, I am excited to be able to uh, continue in this series this morning. Go on and turn to First Thessalonians chapter 2 if you got your Bible. That's where we'll be here in a minute. But this series that we're in is called Everyday Mission, Live Life with Urgency and intention. And so, um, and if you, if you guys were here the first couple of weeks of October, we spent, we did, we weren't in this series. First couple of weeks, we spent time talking about what does it look like for us as a church going forward in missions? What does it look like for us to minister to our community? Uh, what does it look like for us in planning new churches? What does it look like for us in reaching the unreached? And those were kind of the three big buckets that we talked about. And so, now uh, we spent the first couple of weeks talking about that. Um, which is really, really important for us. Our, our, our job as a church to make disciples of all nations. However, man, just being in ministry now for uh, 14 years or so, what I've noticed is that one of the biggest mistakes a follower of Jesus can make in regards to missions is to expect and even wait on the church to provide you with opportunities to be on mission. Do you see the danger in that? You see... We hope to provide in 2023 even more tangible ways that you can engage with us, so you can link arm in arm with us, um, with this body as we do something on mission. But listen, if the missions in your life are centered only around what the church offers, I'm going to argue with you till I'm blue in the face that you're not living the life that God has equipped and called you to do to the fullest. You see, being a Christian is not about doing missional things. Golly, take a nap after this. Katie's got a pillow you can borrow. Take a nap after this comment if you have to. But hear me say this. The Christian life is not about doing missional things. It's about living a missional life. Those are starkly different ideas and truths, okay? And that's why this study... Everyday mission coming right on the heels of our last study is so important. You see, we invite you to be a part of what we are doing as a church locally here. The opportunities that we offer in the future that are going to go beyond our neighborhood. But we cannot individually ignore our call to engage with those in our circle for the kingdom of God. So that's what this study is all about. Last week, we talked about the man, we are all busy. We're all living this life. We're all doing our best to, to serve Christ and to, to, to be with our family, to be with our whatever, whatever your life looks like at this point. And we talked about how we've got to first identify people in our lives who do not have the hope that we do in Christ. And that's important for those of us who may not have a lot of lost people in our may not have a lot of people who don't know Jesus in our lives because of the circle you run in. Well, like fix that, pray for that and fix that. Meet people. Notice the people that are in the background of your lives. We talked about that last week. But it's also important for us to identify, recognize that these people are there. And so this week we're going to do, what, what do we do next? Like after, after we've identified them, what, what do we do once we've identified them? We're going to do this word invest. It's going to be the, the key word of the day, okay? Invest. So I'm going to read 1 Thessalonians 2, 4 through 6, which is just going to kind of provide our introduction to the topic um, of investment. Uh, but I'm going to read three verses. I'm going to pray, and then we'll come back and keep talking, okay? 1 Thessalonians 2, 4 through 6, the word of the Lord says, uh, Paul's kind of in the middle of a conversation here, but instead, just as we have been approved by God 
to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please people, but rather God who examines our hearts. For we never used flattering speech, as you know, or had greedy, greedy motives. God is our witness, and we didn't seek glory from people, either from you or from others. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. Um, God, I pray that these three verses and the and the six that follow, God, would speak into our hearts and lives. Um, God, that you would do a work in us today and that we would not leave this place the same. And God, that we would leave here with a better understanding of what you've called us to do here. And God, that we would take the drastic steps needed uh, to begin to invest in those around us. God, we pray that today uh, you would speak to us and be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Anyway, so I know we didn't go back to the beginning of the book to, to catch uh, the author. Usually Paul kind of begins with a little uh, thing. Hey, it's Paul. That's how he starts each of his letters, something like that anyway. Um, but this is Paul. Paul wrote the book of First Thessalonians. It's a letter written to a church. And Paul is this church planning maniac that y'all have heard me talk about for the last few weeks. Paul's been coming up over and over again. Paul makes it clear from the jump that he's not planning churches to get rich. That's what he says. He says, I don't have greedy motives. But he did point out, I have been entrusted with the gospel, and so we speak. See, Paul knew that he had been called to share the gospel with those around him. And we don't know if he's been accused of having greedy motives and, and whatever else. But like, Paul wants to set himself apart from all the people in the world who care for the wrong reasons. And this is kind of a rhetorical question, but I want to ask you, just so we're all on the same page. You know what I mean by that, right? Like, you know, you've met people who care for the wrong reasons, right? Like a boss who tells you he cares about you, but you're just part of the, you're a cog in the wheel. Or for those of you who are bosses, I'm like, why are you always picking on me? Uh, you got somebody who always is encouraging you, who works under you, but really they're just a yes man to, to, get a raise, right? Like it never goes on. Like it's, it's in our homes. It's in our neighborhood, whatever. Like there are people who care for the wrong reasons. And we as pastors get accused of that too. <laughs> we do. But what we learn about Paul and the church at Thessalonica that he's writing to right here, like Acts 17, you don't have to turn there because we're not going to read it, but I want to kind of summarize what happened when Paul and Silas and his missionary team went through this city. It didn't go well, I'll just tell you that. This is more than, a, uh, than just a, a one-time relate. Like this, this is a big deal. Paul spent in, incredible time there and went through some difficulties. What happened when he was there? The Jews got so upset that Paul and Silas were preaching about Jesus that they formed a mob and stormed a guy named Jason's house who they thought, when they were thinking about where can we go find them, where are we going to find Paul and Silas? Dude, I bet they're at Jason's house. That dude's a Jesus freak, man. Let's go there. And so they show up at Jason's house. Paul and Silas are not there, but they drag Jason out in the street and they beat him. No, more than likely trying to get information from him about where Paul and Silas are. Isn't that incredible? That's crazy to me. But in the meantime, while he's being tortured for information, the other Christians in the city lead Paul and Silas out of the city in the dark, in the dark of night. So I'm going to tell you, it's a tough place to be a Christian. That's what you walk away from Acts 17 with. Man, I'm glad I live in North Alabama. Because this is a tough place. 
And Paul knew that. He had witnessed it. And so as he's writing this letter to a group of people who are living in the midst of that kind of place, Jason is one of these who's actually hearing the letter being read to the church there. They know what it's like to suffer. So Paul's not writing this letter trying to raise money. He's writing the letter to encourage the church. And he's showing genuine care for the people. As we read through this part of chapter 2, Paul's care for these people here in this city, it provides what I think is a simple outline for what our investment should look like in the lives of people that we have identified in our lives as people in need of the gospel. An investment relative to engaging people toward the gospel requires three things Paul's showing us here. Time, our time, our conduct, and our focus. So we're going to start first with our time. Our time. Paul says this. We're going to look at it here in a second. But what, what Paul's showing us is that you've got to show that you care about the person's needs. Okay, look with me at verse 7. Although we could have been a burden as Christ's apostles, what he's saying is, hey, I'm... Like, I was called, and I'm, I don't mean to brag, but I'm kind of a big deal. That's what Paul's saying. I could have showed up and said, all right, we're going to pass the plate 14 times until I get this amount of money. Like, Paul could have demanded certain things almost because of his spiritual place. But instead, he said, we were gentle among you. As a nurse nurtures her own children. We cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. Now, it's going to get weird for a minute because Paul uses an analogy here that we just read that seems so condescending to me. And I asked the first service this, and I'll ask you guys just a quick poll. Do you want me to refer to you as children every week when I preach? No, you can, you can shake your head. It's okay. But that's what Paul does here. And it seems like not even, not even children though, right? Did you notice nursing babies? That's the analogy. See, you like that? No, like that would, that's weird. But, but again, Paul's not, he's doing it in a loving way. And what Paul, he's, he's referring to himself as a nurse nurtures her own children. Now the noun, just nerdy for a moment, the noun that gets used that gets the word nurse is in my version of the Bible can also mean a nursing mother. And why in the world they just left it at nurse in my translation of the Bible? I don't know. But it's clear that Paul is comparing himself to a nursing mother. Anybody except one of you know what happened on November 2nd, 2013? Exactly, you don't. You didn't even know me then. Okay, well, some of you. At least three of you knew who I was then. (laughs) But November 2nd, 2013 was the day when my first baby girl, my first baby, who was a girl, was born. Um, I, I remember it like it was yesterday. Uh, there's a lot of memories that have already faded in my mind, but this one is one that I don't think I'll ever forget. Uh, Kelly had had a C-section, and so they had taken me and Elsie Joe into this little side room, and I got to give her a bath for the first time, and I butchered it because I wasn't rough enough because that's what we as dads were very careful. And so they had to pretty much wash her for me. Um, but then Kelly, Kelly was, they were, you know, doing all the things, stitching her up and everything after the C-section. And then they wheeled her. I'll never forget. They, I'm, I'm hanging out in there, and they wheel her in in this room. And they're still, like, she's exhausted. She's tired. There's probably still some drugs in her system or whatever, you know, um, the, all the stuff that goes into all that, right? 
And the one thing that I remember is her coming into the room and they took Elsie Joe, or I did, and I handed her to Kelly. And for the first time, outside of the womb, she received nourishment. And like, as a dad, like there were dads in my life who said, hey man, this whole baby being born thing, and I'm going to talk to some of you about this, who have babies coming soon, it's weird. Like you're going to learn things, you're going to see things, you're going to hear things that you're not prepared for, okay? And this is one of those moments that I wasn't prepared for. Like I was not ready for this. What I noticed just being a dad for the first time as I watched it go down, I learned quickly that this is a very intimate and connecting time between a mother and her child. And that's the image that Paul's driving here. And sure, it's creepy. Sure, (laughs) that Paul's comparing himself to a nursing mother. But what is he conveying? He's saying... We love you in the most intimate way possible. We spent time among you when we were there. We invested in you. We spent this this intimate time giving you spiritual nourishment that you needed. I got another one of those weird rhetorical questions that your answer is going to be no, but you ever viewed yourself as a spiritual nursing mother? This is what Paul is telling us we should do. Like this is what it looks like. As we begin to invest in those who we have identified in our lives as in need of the gospel, this is the heaviness, church. This is the heaviness with which we are to invest in them. It's a really important thing that we are doing for them. We are feeding them spiritually, not just making some sales pitch that they can say yes or no to. We are providing something for them that they cannot find on their own. That's beautiful. And if you and I will take on this mentality of a nursing mother in the way that we invest with people, it's going to make an impact. Paul goes on to say what he means by this, and so he'll clear up some of my confusion. He says in verse 8, We cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you what not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. You see, this is the difference that I'm pushing for. I told you last week, if God calls you to share the gospel with total strangers that you bump into at Walmart, you better do it. But what I'm telling you is I believe the most effective form of sharing Jesus with other people is not with total strangers, but with someone you already have a connection with. And Paul's challenge here is don't just share the gospel with them, but share your life with them. Let them know that they are cared and loved. Show them with your life that you you don't share with them simply so that you get to check your evangelism box or that sm- for at small group on Wednesday night you can share a really cool story that'll trump everybody else's because you shared your faith with somebody. Right? Spend time with them as you look for opportunities to point them to the gospel. Are you catching this distinction here? Our sharing of the gospel is going to be much more likely to be received if we spend adequate time with the people that we're sharing with. But Paul doesn't stop with time. He goes on to conduct. This is the second thing I told you about. Paul begins to talk about our conduct. We've got to show that we care about God or about Christ. This is verses 9 and 10. 
For you remember our labor and hardship, brothers and sisters, working night and day so that we would not be a burden. We would not burden any of you. We preached God's gospel to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how devoutly, righteously, and blamelessly we conducted ourselves with you, believers. Now, are you seeing Paul's second point here? Paul says, remember our time spent with you. Dude, it was significant. We spent a significant amount of time with you, sharing the gospel with you. But do you remember how we conducted ourselves? Do you remember that? Paul says that he and his team, he uses three words to describe their conduct. Devoutly, righteously, and blamelessly. He says they acted among them. So I want to look at those words for just a moment. Devoutly is one that actually is the only time it's used in the whole New Testament. The word devoutly is not used anywhere else. So I can't give you a lot of context for that word. Number two. But the Greek word that gets translated righteously is used five times in the, in the New Testament. The most significant of which I thought was Titus 2.12 as I looked at them myself. Let me read this to you. And, and again, it's giving context to the word that Paul is using because Paul wrote Titus 2.2. 2 as well. He wrote Titus as well. He says this, that Christ instructed us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts and to live in a sensible, righteous, that's the word, and godly way in the present age. So what is Paul, what, what, what things is Paul comparing? Paul says that denying godlessness and worldly lusts is to live righteously. So when he when he's calling when he when he's saying that that's how they lived that they lived righteously what he's saying is that we denied godlessness and worldly lust. What does that mean? We denied the draw of the world. Let me ask you a straight up question. The people that don't know Jesus in your walk right now, the people that you run into that don't know Jesus. Would they say that of you? You know what I mean? Would they say that would they say that in you they see someone who is denying the draw of the world? Or can they even tell a difference between you and the neighbor who doesn't know Jesus? Like that's an important question to ask, church. And then the, the third word, blamelessly. It's only used two times, and it's only used in this letter. First Thessalonians five twenty three. He says, "Number the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely." Sanctify is a is a verb form of holy. So make you holy completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So here at the end of his letter to this same church, he uses he brings this word back up. And how does he use it? He compares it to someone who has been sanctified completely or completely made holy by God through the work of the Spirit. So let's ask you a question again. Like, do people see in you Christ-likeness? That's what it means to be completely sanctified. If I was completely sanctified, I would look like Jesus. Everything I did, everything I said, everywhere I went, all of it, you'd go, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Can people see in you not a perfection in that? But do they see Jesus in you? His character, who he is. So like when we look, when Paul says that, God knows and you know how devoutly, righteously, and blamelessly we conducted ourselves. Like, he's making a heavy statement. But i got to ask you this all-important question. 
Why does that matter? Like, why did it matter that this this group of church planners that Paul's leading, why did it matter that they act devout, righteous, and blameless among those they were sharing Jesus with? Here's my answer. Disagree with it if you want. It showed that Christ had actually done something in them. Like, it showed that that he was actually worth following. It shows that Christ was a priority in their lives, that, that they were living different because of their relationship with him. Now, I'm going to speak to you pastorally for a moment. It's my fear. And one of the biggest issues with our evangelistic efforts today in the church is not a lack of knowledge. The biggest evangelistic hurdle for us is not our fear of sharing our faith with people. It's not rejection. It's not any of those things. It's that when we tell our friends and neighbors that they need what we have, we talked about that last week, I've got what you need. But when they look at our lives, our conduct, our families, our speech, our love, they say, why? Why do I need that? Like, why? It hasn't even impacted you. Why would I need to commit to a Savior who can't even change you? You see, I have conversations with people similar to this. I tell everybody I know, you need to buy a Jeep. I'm telling you, um, there was a season in my life, a beautiful season. I, we should have put the picture on the screen. Her name was Jude. His name was Jude. And he was a beautiful Jeep. 2001, 60th anniversary Jeep, 33, 1250 tires on that mom, a chicken. Lifted just a, just a right, the right amount. And we love that Jeep. And I tell people today, I mean, there's nothing better than late spring, early fall, cruising around in a Jeep with the doors off and the top off. Like I, I'll tell you, some of y'all convertible people, whatever. I've never been, I mean, I've been in some. It ain't nothing. It's a Jeep. It's a Jeep all day. It's the best. It's it's the best. And and I know they can be expensive. Like a 20-year-old one costs as much as a new car, but like they're worth it. That's what I tell people. If you're in the market, you should consider one. But you know the question I always get when I have that conversation? Then why do you drive a RAV4? <laughs> like that's, that's a legitimate question. Okay, I love Jeeps, and I think everybody in the world should own a Jeep, but I own a RAV4. So it's a, it's a, it's a question that I expect. But my argument is always, but, but a Jeep is the best vehicle you can map. Man, they're so versatile, they're so rugged, and they're so much fun. And then the follow-up question is always, then why don't you drive one? <laughs> so do you see this predicament? I'm trying to convince people that they need a Jeep while I don't even own one myself. You see, I'm trying to convince them to pay a price that I'm not even willing to pay myself. You see this. Don't need to make the connection for you. This is what stands in the way of many people reaching their neighbors and their family and their friends who are, who are dying without Christ. And see, when our priorities are out of whack, when Jesus and his bride, the local church, have to get in line behind a list of other things in our lives, your evangelistic effort and my evangelistic effort will be minimal. 
when everything else in our lives that wears us down and makes us so tired gets priority over Jesus and the church, we are out of whack. And honestly, this lifestyle that is out of whack like this is sadly, I think, having the biggest impact on those that God has placed closest to you. Those that are in your closest circles. For some of you, that's, man, your best friends. They see it in you more than anybody else. Your family, they see it in you more than anybody else. Those neighbors that you eat four meals a week with, whatever, like that. That's the people that see it, and they see it in you. They may not tell you, but they see your priority messed up. But, man, I got to... I'm going to speak into one that I've seen that breaks my heart more than most. And that's for those of us that are parents. Because my kids see my lack of priorities more than anybody else in my life. They can't spell priorities, but they see it when it's out of whack. Moms and dads, let me ask you, how's your conduct at home? What do your kids see you talk about? What do they see you joke about? What do they see you do? And most importantly, are you showing them that the greatest priority in your life is Christ? You see, I can tell my kids all day that they need to trust in Jesus. And one of them has and one of them hasn't so far in their lives. And I can tell them that they they need to grow after they've trusted in Jesus. They need to grow in Jesus. But listen to me, if they don't look at me and see change... If they don't see a difference in me, they're not going to pay the high price that Christianity requires. If they don't see me paying the price, they won't pay it themselves. So now you can wait back up and hear the second thing I want you to hear before you walk out. Not just for parents, but for all of us who are trying to share it, trying to invest. Sell them a Jeep by buying one yourself. You hear me? Sell them a Jeep by buying one yourself. Show, sell them on the gospel by living it out. Let them see that there is nothing that is more important. No sports, no activities, no money, no ch- nothing is more important to you than Christ. And your effective your, your, your ability to effectively share the gospel will, to, with them will shoot through the roof. Show your kids and all of those around you that they need Christ and his church by devoting yourselves to those two things. Oh, Paul gives one more thing here. We have to spend time with those who we're sharing with. We've got to conduct ourselves in a Christ-like way by having right priorities. But he, he ends here by talking about a particular focus. That's point number three. He said, we've got to show about that we care about their eternity. First Thessalonians 2, 11 and 12 says, As you know, like a father with his own children, we encourage, comfort, and implore each one of you to walk worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Check this shift out. Paul says, not, not only am I a nursing mother, but I also treated you like a godly father giving wisdom. Paul was not only giving them the basic understanding of God's word that they needed, he was also directing them with his wisdom through life as a godly father does. 
but there's particular terminology towards a focus that we need to notice. He says, I implore, we implored each one of you to walk worthy of God. There's this intimate nature that's happening in Paul's ministry among the people there. Paul was at some level taking time with individuals to invest in them. If you and I are going to share the gospel with our friends and neighbors most effectively, we got to invest individually. We have to have those personal one-on-one conversations. A text message ain't going to do it. An email's not going to do it. Because there's an honesty and an intimacy that comes when we sit knee-to-knee with someone else. We need to be focused on the individual, but Paul gives us more to this idea of focus in verse 12. Paul says each one of you is being called into his own kingdom, into God's kingdom and glory. You see, Paul's ultimate goal in each of these relationships and all these relationships that he had with the people was not to have friends. It was not to be popular. It was not even to try to be a good example for them. His ultimate goal was that they be in the kingdom of God. We define God's kingdom here on earth as God's people living under God's reign. And this is what Paul wanted for them. He wanted to see them trust in Jesus and live for God. I've seen this in my own life. I've seen it in other people. It's another scary thing when we put our need for friendship over our friend's need for the gospel. Here's what I mean. Man, last time I tried to talk to him about Jesus, they didn't want to hear it. I don't want to offend them. I don't want to run them off. I, I don't. I want them to stop being my friend. Now, in these relationships, hear me say this: Don't be a jerk, okay? If the last time you talked with them, you invited them to church, and they said, "Stop inviting me to church," and the first thing they hear out of your mouth the next time, when you, boom, 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 you want to go to church with me? Like, don't do that. Don't be that guy or girl, right? Like. Be careful with the way that you share. But I have to ask myself in these moments, what am I worried about? Am I worried about them and their eternity? Or is my biggest concern my own life and my own comfort and my own group of friends? Can I really be concerned about losing a friend when that friend who doesn't know Jesus will die one day separated from God and have to continue that way for all of eternity and not get to enjoy the beauty and glory of God that you and I enjoy here on earth and will even more uh, not even witness his presence in heaven when we die? It was a long paragraph I had to read. Because there's a lot riding on salvation. Do you see how selfish we can be in our evangelism? That's when our focus gets off. We've got to take the mindset of Paul here and keep in front of us all the kingdom of God as the ultimate goal of all that we do. i got another important question to ask. Maybe the most important I've asked at this point. Does that make sense? Because it's not noon yet. We can start all over. <laughs> because God so urgently spoke to my own heart through this message that I need to know that you've heard me and you've heard his word today. Because God has impressed it upon my heart and my own brokenness that I've got issues in one of these three areas. That yes, I, I, I can identify people in my life and I can begin to pray for them. Awesome, good. I can even begin to hang out with them. Good. 
but at some point I've got to invest in them. I've got to, I've got to take that, not just time, but I've got to make it quality, intimate time. Like a nursing mother, I've got to, I've got to also begin to, uh, begin to conduct myself a particular way. I've got to show them through the way that I live in front of them that there is something different about me, that Christ has changed me and he's worth the cost of a priority shift. It's going to show them that I care about Christ. And then I've got to fight for the right focus. And I can't, they can't become a number in a, in a checkbox of evangelism. I, I can't be worried about keeping them as a friend over willing to share Jesus with them. My focus has got to be on the kingdom of God in their life. And like church, this isn't a call to your pastor. This is a call to all of us. This is our calling. Identify those in need of the gospel and invest in them. And yeah, you don't have, you can, you can, you say, hey, Heath, I'm already doing that. I already got it covered. And it, and it doesn't include those three things. And you can be somewhat effective. Like some of you may, like, you may, you may not be, you may not have your priorities right. And you may still be inviting people to come to Jesus. And they may, they may do it. It's awesome. But can you agree with me and with Paul that the most effective way to share Jesus is by including these three things? And isn't the call of God to share Jesus with our friends and neighbors worth taking it serious and being most effective? It is for me. Our calling deserves our effort and our passion and our desire to try to be most effective. And so the the what I want to do is, I, I don't know which one of these hits home with you. I know which one stomped on my heart and mind and sinfulness. But we want to give you a chance to mull this over a little bit. So Patrick and and some of our worship team are going to make their way up to the stage um, even right now. But hey, as they're coming, listen, listen. Don't watch them. I know. I used to not be a preacher with my back to the worship team. I know what you do. You watch them. And you watch Patrick sling his guitar over his shoulder. I know all the stuff that's happening, right? And I I made you do it that time. But listen, this is our tendency. Satan wants to distract us from the message that's been laid before us today. Our natural tendency is to get distracted by all the things and stuff that's going on, where you're going to have lunch and what you're going to do. But church, for the sake of your friends and your neighbors who don't yet know Jesus, will you slow down a little minute? And just consider how God might speak to you through this. We want to give you a chance to sit in it, to process, to pray. You may want to pray right where you are. You may want to come and pray um, before your church family at the altar for yourself or other people. You want to come and pray for those that you've identified in your life. You may need to talk with somebody about what's going on, some sin that's keeping you from doing this well that we talked about. So I'm going to be back in the back to the your left side of the sound booth back there. And I'm back there just to, to be a sounding board for you, to pray for you. And also, I need you to know that there is a truth about life, an undeniable truth, and that is that those who are without a relationship with Christ, cannot experience the presence of God the way he intended here on this earth and for all of eternity. And if you've never trusted in Jesus, 
that I can't think of anything better to mull with than to that, to consider beginning to follow Jesus. I'm, again, I'm going to be back at the back. If you need to come talk to me about any of that stuff, but if you need to come talk to me about trusting in Jesus as well, I'd love to show you about how you can do that. Um, I'm going to say a prayer. And during this song, you can stand and sing. You can sit and pray. You can come to the altar. You can come talk to me. Whatever you need to do to respond, you do it. I'm going to pray, and I'll turn it over. God, I thank you. Uh, God, for what you've challenged me with this week. And God, I pray um, that God, I never become a pastor that just preaches at issues in the church. But God, that I look in my own heart and see my own issues. And God, that that fuels what you lead me to speak. And so, God, I pray for my heart. God, I pray for the the heart of our family in our home. God, you would help us to be more obedient in these ways. But, God, I know I'm probably not alone in, in this message speaking to me. And so, God, I pray for anybody here, God, who's got these things out of whack. God, whether it's the time. They're not spending time with with intentional time with with people who don't know jesus god maybe they're around them like we talked about last maybe they're around them but they're not intentionally spending time with them to drive the conversation towards the gospel and i pray that you would uh soften their heart towards that god there may be some that have some priorities out of whack and god they're giving their heart and the heart of their children to everything else in this world God, there's nothing left for you. God, break our hearts for that. And God, may we leave this place with with steps in motion to begin to be different. God, the next generation stands ready to be won by somebody. God, somebody is going to win the next generation. God, use us as your church to reach them for you. God, there may be some that are wrestling with the with the focus part. God treating people as as projects and God is so just worried about friendships over the gospel. God, whatever it is, God, you you know our hearts. God, you send the Spirit. God, stir the Spirit within us to to be obedient and to repent of the things we need to repent of and trust in the things we need to trust. God, this time is yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, you stand. Respond however you need to.